0: Bible reading this morning comes from Psalm 8, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion, over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth.
1: I was just... Edmondson is in the hospital. Uh, Don't know the details right now, just know that she is in the hospital. So let's uh, let's pray for her and keep keep that in our minds. It is so good to see each of you this morning. I appreciate you being here, especially if you're visiting. We are so glad that you're here and we want you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. Being in awe of God. The psalmist asked, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. For nearly six thousand years we've been asking that question, why? Why are we here? Where are we going? What are we going to be doing while we're here? Or what are we going to be go- doing when we're out of here? What is our purpose in this life? Why are we here? Why does God consider us? Philosophy tells us that we are the genius of the ages. Some men and women of science say that we're simply an animal. A little more than an ape, but nonetheless still an animal. Plato broke it down to its simplest form. He said, man is a featherless biped. But does that answer any of these questions? Does that answer the statement and the question that the psalmist made? Why does God consider man? Why is He considering us? What is it about man that gives us meaning? What is our purpose for being here. If man is different from an animal, why are we here? What is there in man that makes him different if he is different? As we look around and we understand the existence of humankind, and we look and we study and we we look at the different cultures, why is it that man has always been a religiously minded being? In every culture that has ever been discovered under whatever situation in which they lived, man has worshipped something. That may have been himself, but he has worshipped something. He is religiously minded. We as a people want to look to a greater power. We want to look to a higher power. We want some questions answered, don't we? We want to understand what he has in store for us and why he placed us here. Only one person can answer that question. and It is to him that David addressed this psalm. But the question was asked to determine. It was asked to to determine something, but it was asked in view of God's power. Why is God mindful of man considering His great power? When we look around the world today, we ask the same question. We may ask it in a little different way. What is it about us that would cause God to take notice? For man surely does not take notice of God. I think the answer of David's questions and our questions can be found throughout the Bible. I think God is mindful of us because of how we were. I think that's the beginning of the story. God is mindful of us because of how we were. Shortly after God created the world, He created the plants and and the animals, He created man and He did so in a perfect state. Man was created in a pure state. Brought into a beautiful world where there was no corruption to be seen anywhere. Moses recorded the conversation within the Godhead. He said, and God said, let us make man in our image is referred to as a child of God, Luke 3, 38. Like his father, Adam was created being pure, holy, and righteous. There was no sin in the world. There was no sin in the world that God created. God does not create anything that is not perfect. It is not the case that a person is born sinful. It is not the case that that we are inclined to commit sin over which we have no control. That's not how God created us. That's a broken person. Now we have broken people in the world. We've all been there, but by our own choices. The world today would have us to believe that a person is born a homosexual. And when we look in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, we see a whole list of things that uh, Paul has said that are sinful. He makes a whole laundry list of things of which we are to avoid. And he talks about a diverse manner of things. But when we get toward the end of this section, he says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. He says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one for another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. But he goes on and he mentions other sins. He doesn't just mention homosexuality. He talks about unrighteousness. He talks about sexual immoralities of different kinds. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. He says full of envy. He lists a whole manner of things. So it appears to me as I look at this, if a person is born to be a homosexual, he's born to be a murderer. He's born to be a gossip. He's born to be a backbiter. He's born to always be looking for to do something evil. And he's born to be a hater of God. But that can't be the case, can it? That's not possible. God does not create anything that is broken. We break the things God has given to us. How do we know that? We need to have an answer for that. We need to be able to say why that is the case instead of that's just the way it is. We can't have an answer for that. God created man in a perfect state because he was patterned after God Himself. God is not a broken individual. God mends broken individuals. And we were patterned after Him in many ways, right? Our intellect, our emotion... And our will, that didn't just happen. Instead, God gave those things to us. He created us to be that way. Being made in the image of God, we can reason, we can dream, we can love, we can aspire to have things and to do things. And of course, we can determine our own action. God created us so that we can discipline ourselves to accomplish our intended goals. God did not create anything that was broken. And since we have been created by God, we have always been and continue to be bound by His law. In the garden, Adam and Eve were given direction. They were given everything that they needed to have in this life. And God expected them to obey His commandments. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it, Genesis 2.15. When we look at the punishment that, that God handed down after the first couple sinned, work was not a part of that punishment. That was a way of life prior to the sin. God has always directed the man's uh, man steps. He's always given us direction in which we ought to go because the way of man is not in himself, the great prophet said. It is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps, Jeremiah 10.23. God is not created a mass of people and then left us to our own devices. That's deism. God has always directed us in the way that we ought to go. But it is up to us whether or not we'll take that direction, right? Ever since the dawn of time, the purpose of man has been to fear God and to keep His commandments. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. God is mindful of man. I think the... The the psalmist asked a wonderful question, but I think he really knew the answer. He was acknowledging the power of God. God's mindful of man because His creation was perfectly patterned after Him. He created man because He had a desire for companionship. That kind of companionship that only comes when we willingly give it. That's what we all desire. When Satan walked into that pristine garden... Things changed forever. He helped to break what God had created. The first couple sinned and God expelled them from their wonderful home, Genesis chapter 3. And from that point forward, man chose to sin. Man learned to sin. And there's always been a punishment for that. But God is mindful. The image was marred. Mankind no longer had that relationship that they had in the garden. It would never be had again in this world. To be able to walk in the cool of the garden, to to commune with God as it were face to face, and to enjoy His loving and His tender voice guiding in the garden. So why would God take notice of a fallen man? Why would He do that? I think the answer to that is easy as well. God is mindful of man because of how we are. He's mindful of how we were, but He's mindful of how we are. Man had gone from faithful servant to rebel in a short period of time. Adam and Eve were in the presence of God and committed, or communed with Him in a very personal way. But they lost that. They gave that up. And this transition separated them from God. The prophet said that sin is what separates us from God. It isn't that He can't hear us. It isn't that He's not able to help us. He said, but your iniquities or your sins have separated you from your God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. God has never left His throne. He's always been sitting there. Man leaves the presence of God. The picture of how we are is not a pretty one, is it? No, when we begin to look at humankind and the things that are going on in the world, we turn on the news and we hear the things that we can't imagine anyone doing in this world to other people. Mankind as he is, he seeks his own will. He seeks his own good. He wants to do what he wants to do. He's not really concerned with the needs of others. Certainly not concerned with what God would want. And he's not mindful of those commandments. How we are is not necessarily a pretty sight. We rebel against the wishes of God and we determine in our own hearts what we want to do. And if we decide to worship God, we want to do it the way we want to do it. And to give Him what we want Him to have. And we disregard the sustainer of all things. Why is God mindful of a fallen man? Man has rebelled in the realm of morals. We noticed that, Romans 1. Man has rebelled in the realm of worship, Matthew 15 verse 9. Man, when he is in a state of rebellion, he is no longer called the Son of God. He's called something else. And that's the Son of the Devil, John 8 44. Even though we were made in the image of God, we were created in His image, we have... We've broken our intellect. We've corrupted our emotions and our will which He has given to us. We'll look at something and we'll say, I just simply can't overcome that. It's just simply too hard for me to do. I have an urge to do something and I can't stop doing it. Now that may be true in, in some sense, but God gave us the ability to overcome. But we have to want to overcome. As terrible as this picture is, it is the picture of all of us. Paul said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans three twenty three. As a sinner before God, man became the object of death, Romans six twenty three. The soul that sinneth it's going to die, Ezekiel said, Ezekiel eighteen verse four. But that doesn't have to be the case. Man chose to sin, man chose to be a sinner, man chose to live in sin. But why is God mindful of us? Is it simply because we decided to rebel against Him because that's how we are? God is mindful of us because we can return to Him. We can get out of the sinning business, as it were. We can stop living in a way that Satan wants us to live. God is mindful of us because He loves us. Paul encouraged his readers. He said, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13 Earlier in the same letter he said, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7 Why is God mindful of us? Sinfulness of man is taken away in the blood of Christ. And man as he was becomes the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. How we are becomes how we can be. That's why God is mindful of us. What we lost through sin we can regain through Christ. That's why God is mindful of us but he's not going to force us to be reunited with him he's not going to make us do that we have been given the opportunity to become children of God he's given us the opportunity to become sons and daughters again but we must accept that we must have a desire to change we must have a desire to return we must have a desire to do that. Peter demanded this. He said, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 15, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so you be holy in all manner of conversation. Has God ever required something from us that we could not fulfill? Has God ever demanded that we do something that we could not complete? We go back to the argument, you're born a certain way, you're born to sin in a certain way. Why would God do that? Why would He create someone that He would only punish? That's that's a denominational mindset. We're not born sinful. We're not born either lost or saved. We have an opportunity to be reunited with God. All we have to do is accept it. How do we do that? How do we become holy after having chosen to live in sin? We have to turn our lives back to God, right? There's a plan of salvation given to us in the Bible. It's very simple. And it is simple because of God's great love for us. He wants us to be able to understand it. We have to have a belief in what He says. Jesus said, John 8, 24, if you... If you do not believe I am He, you'll die in your sins. We have to have that belief. The writer of Hebrews said, said, uh, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. We have to have that faith that He is who He said He is. We have to have the faith that says He'll do what He says He will do. And He said He will punish those who do not repent. Faith and repentance followed by confession that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We see that taught throughout the Bible. The Ethiopian eunuch made that very statement, uh, Acts 8, verse 37. He went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. The last thing we hear about the eunuch is he went on his way rejoicing. Why? The burdens of sin had been removed from his life. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, but it does not stop there. We have to live faithfully if we're going to allow the blood of Jesus to reconcile us to God. That's why He's mindful of us. And we live that Reformed life. And that's done on a daily basis, isn't it? Paul told the Romans, Romans 12 verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. A constant study in the Word of God. That doesn't mean we're walking around with a Bible in our hands 24 hours a day, but that means it becomes a part of our lives. It's who we are. It's who we are. That's how we live to re- live a reformed life. If man is going to return, he must realize that God demands obedience. He doesn't just give us good ideas. And that He will punish those who do not conform to that obedience. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-9 is a very sad statement when we look at it in view of the eternal consequences. When Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, coming with a flaming, fiery sword, taking vengeance on those, He said, that do not know God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a huge group of people. We need to think about that. C.S. Lewis, I believe, was correct when he mused. He said, we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. He said, a senile benevolent who, as they say, likes to see young people enjoying themselves, and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. That is exactly what the world wants a senile grandfather sitting in heaven overlooking everything that goes on below him simply so all can have a good time. But it is the case that God has developed a plan to reconcile us back to Him. Now we just mentioned how the alien sinner is reconciled to God through the plan of salvation. But what if we obey the gospel and we leave the light? What if we leave His hand of safety What if we wander away from the fold of God? What about the Christian who slips back into the mire of sin? What about that individual? Well, there's a plan for that person as well. Repentance. Stop doing whatever it is that has separated us from God, whatever that sin may be. Confession that we recognize that we have done wrong. and Then ask God to forgive us. Now that doesn't always happen in a willing way, does it? Sometimes it is as if people have to be prodded just a little bit. But that's okay. God made arrangements for that also. When we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we notice the first nine verses. Paul made a statement. He said, it is actually reported among you that there is someone there engaged in fornication, he said, of the kind that is not even named among the Gentiles. Now, of course, what he's talking about, and we understand, we've read the chapter, there was a man who was living with his stepmother as if she were his wife. Now, what was the problem? As we read the passage, Paul explains, you're puffed up. You're being arrogant. You're telling the world, look how much we love this individual. We're not even punishing them for this sin. We're just overlooking it. That shows our great love. Paul said, you're you're confused, you're mistaken. That's not love. You're not showing love because you allow someone to continue to live in sin. You know what Paul said? He said, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He said, your glorying is not good. That individual, that member of the Church of Christ at Corinth was about to lose his soul if he departed this world physically. And all those who supported him in it were going to answer as well. So we have to be careful. Sometimes we have to prod. Paul said, withdraw your fellowship from that individual. Don't, Don't fellowship someone who is living in sin or condoning sin. And they do that because the hope was that man would repent and that the whole congregation would. When we read the second letter to Corinth, we see that it worked. The man did repent. He did come back. See, we can be reunited with God. That's why He is mindful of us. We can return to the Father. But we can't stop there either. We can't stop there because the question remains unanswered. Why is God mindful of us? Because of how we will be. That's why He's mindful of us. He's mindful because we all face death as we live life. That's just a part of it, isn't it? We live a circle of life. It begins with birth and it ends in death. And everyone faces it. The writer of Hebrews said, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 Hebrews 9.27 Death is something that every person must be prepared when we face it. Perhaps we can think of it this way. When Jesus left, did He not say, I'm going to prepare a place for you, John 14, 1 through 3. That's what the Lord said. He was leaving earth. He was going to ascend back to the Father for the purpose of preparing the home that is already there. Why is it then a person can believe that we can go to a prepared home unprepared? That can't be possible, is it? We have to be prepared for that. It's necessary and important because we do not want to be a part of the number who sees standing before God as a fearful thing, Hebrews 10.31. We want to be a part of that number who longs for Christ's return, 2 Timothy 4, eight, just like the great Apostle Paul. But we cannot go to a prepared place unless we are prepared. There's no room for the unprepared in heaven. Like the writer proclaimed, after death we have the judgment. And it is at this judgment that our fate will be determined. Judgment is an individual matter in that each one of us will answer for ourselves. It doesn't make any difference what our neighbor did, what our husbands or our wives or our children. Paul said, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give account of himself. Romans fourteen eleven through 12. This verse has been misused, misapplied, and abused. Over the years. I can't tell you the times, and I know you've heard it as well, that that's that that someone will say, There it is. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that means all people are going to be in heaven. All you have to do is to believe and confess. Well, we have to do that on time side of eternity. Much like the rich man, as he lifted up his eyes being in torments, he understood. And he didn't want his brethren, his five brothers, left back home. He didn't want them to join him in that torment. He understood where he was and why he was there. He understood he couldn't go anywhere, but he wasn't saved. The determining factor will be how we live in this life as to where we go in the next. He told the Corinthian brethren, Second Corinthians 5, Two ten, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. That's a very sobering statement, isn't it? We will answer for what we do. In his vision, John saw the dead, small and great, Stand before God. He said the books were opened. He said another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Revelation twenty, twelve. Now we may choose to forsake God. We may choose to live in sin. We may choose to reject. God's love and Christ's sacrifice. But when we stand in judgment, we're going to be there. That's not going to be one of our choices. We'll be there and we'll have to give an answer for our conduct. What is a man that God is mindful of him? Why? God's mindful of us because We were perfect in the crowning and was the crowning creation of God's effort. He's mindful of us because of that. He's mindful of us because we chose to leave that state of perfection in which He had created us and we chose to satisfy the sins of the flesh. Why is God mindful of us? Because of what we became, what we are. But most of all, God is mindful of us because of what we will be. We're going to be there. If we strive to live for Him, we can be justified in the sight of God. We don't have to fear God. We do not have to fear standing in judgment. If you've ever sinned in your life, it's too late to stand in that perfect state before God. And that's all of us. Fortunately, Christ came, He gave Himself, He became a man just as we are, and we can follow His example. We can be obedient to Him. We can do the things He's asked us to do. We can start over. And we can start over with the blood of Christ. It will cleanse us. We'll join with Him in baptism, Romans six sixteen through 18. We become the new man which is renewed in the knowledge of God. We can be what God wants us to be in the image that He created, is Colossians 3.10. And we can realize And we can understand and we can hear those wonderful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. That's what we will be if we elect to do that. We talked about election this morning. We talked about God choosing predestination. I believe in that. I believe in predestination. I believe God predestinated a group of individuals to go to heaven, those who have conformed, those who love Him, and those who will be obedient to Him. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe the words of Peter when he said, Make your calling and election sure. We're called by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. We're not called by a faint whisper in the night. We're not called by a feeling. We can't trust our feelings. Only a properly trained conscience can help guide us in this life. But it has to be properly trained according to the Word of God. We can be what God wants us to be. When we look over the vast history of God's people, not a one of them ever started out being what God wanted them to be. But they became what He needed them to be. And we can do that today. If you've never obeyed the gospel of our Lord, do that. Don't leave here not in a covenant relationship, having believed, repented, confessed, been immersed in water so our sins can be washed away. Rising to be a new creature, walking in the light and living for God. Maybe you've done that yet you've become unfaithful. Do not allow sin in the past to destroy the future. Repent of those things. Confess. If you have to do it in a public way, do it in a public way. If it's a private sin that's separating you from God, Go to God privately and ask Him to forgive you of those things. Be reunited with Him again. That's what we will be if we choose to be that way. Answer this Lord's invitation as we stand and as we sing.